I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Wow, that's um, a pretty big statement, isn't it? And a statement like that today would undoubtedly earn Jesus the title of fundamentalist. Um, And that description... Uh, if you've ever been called a fundamentalist, you'll realise that they're actually accusing you of something and think, oh, that's a bad thing, you nasty person. Um, it's a derogatory term. And yet that's what you would have to call Jesus for, you know, for believing that the word of God is like that. Now, he was actually talking about the Old Testament in this way. And he's saying that it is, is literally timeless and important. And he said these words because... What he did and what he taught led some to assume that he did want to get rid of the law. Okay, so isn't that interesting? Like today, we would accuse him of being a fundamentalist, but those who were around him in his day, some of them, were accusing him of being a liberal. Um, But he said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of all the prophets. And that's obviously what some were thinking. Um, Now, you know Jesus knows what you're thinking, hey? Yeah? That can be a bit scary. As soon as I sort of think, oh, he actually knows not only what I was doing but what I've been thinking, that can be quite scary. Um, But there were some there, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, I've just got to tell you what these guys were. The scribes were like those who had gone to Bible college, right? They knew all their scriptures really well. They had formally studied the scriptures. And they knew all the ins and outs. And the Pharisees, well, they were more of a lay-led purity movement. But these guys always seemed to be at loggerheads with Jesus. And they always seemed to be having a go at Jesus because they thought that Jesus didn't keep the law. Now, the thing was, Jesus did keep God's law... What he wasn't doing was following all of the rules and the regulations that uh, the scribes and the Pharisees had built up around it. You see, these scribes and the Pharisees, because of the constant antagonism between Jesus and and them, we we sort of go, oh, they're the baddies. They were real bad. But they were actually trying their darndest to to, to be the goodies. They were very fastidious about keeping the law. And so they tried to define it to the nth degree and they tried to do what we call build a fence around it so that they would know exactly how far they could go in what direction. You know, what do I really need to do to fulfil this law and, and not by too much? Or, but they wanted to make sure that they did keep the law. And in Jesus' day, all of this teaching that they put up surrounding God's law, it was just verbal teaching. But they wrote it down about 300 years later and it came to 800 pages. So 800 pages of of stuff surrounding God's law which people were expected to know. But not only that, they then wrote commentaries all around these things explaining them. And there was more than 60 odd volumes of commentaries to explain all of this. And all of this was not God's law. It was merely man's explanation and man's interpretation of it. And it was just trying to define every set thing. So, for example, God's law says, keep the Sabbath holy. God's law says, you shall do no work on the Sabbath. 
Now, that's all he gave us, and that's, that's what we're supposed to understand and know, and, okay, well, that's an important principle and, and we'll work, work with God on this. But they wanted to, to define it. Well, what is work? And how much of doing stuff is classed as work? And how will we know if we've done that? And, and so they made all of these rules, and here's just a few of them. A new lamp could be moved from one place to another on the Sabbath, but not an old one. Hot food could be kept warm by covering with cloths, feathers or dried flax, but not by covering it with damp herbs or straw, um, which would produce a little bit of fresh heat into it as it rotted down and therefore be considered work. An ass may go out on the Sabbath day wearing its saddlecloth if you put the saddlecloth on it the day before the Sabbath. Um, but it could not wear a bell, even if it was plugged up so that it didn't ring, because that would be work for the ass. Goats could go out with a protective cloth on their udders. Now, you'd all be concerned about all this sort of stuff if you're trying to keep the Sabbath, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, but what about my goat? Is it allowed to have a cloth on it? Well, yes, it could have a cloth on it, provided the cloth was just to protect the udder and keep it warm on those cold winter's nights. But not if that cloth was going to soak up the milk so you could wring it out and, and, and collect the milk the next day. Right? So that was the nth degree that they started defining stuff in every little area of life. Now, if you start trying to live like that, if you start trying to live completely by the law, then you're going to tie yourself up in knots. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse, wondering, oh, have, have I done the right thing here? Have I, have I stepped out of the bounds here or, or what? And and you're just going to go crazy, which is what they did. And you know what? We still do it today. Here's an example. The governments of our day are very concerned about trying to reduce the road toll, and rightfully so. But the the only way that they can do it is to legislate. Currently in Queensland they target what they call the Fatal Five, Speeding, drink and drug driving, failure to wear a seatbelt, driving while fatigued, distraction and inattention. The trouble is it was only, I think, last year or the year before that it was the fatal four. But they realised, oh, no, no, we have to add another one. Uh, Not long before that, it was only three things that they were targeting. And I might be giving away my age here, but I think I can actually remember when seatbelts became compulsory in cars. Um, Sure as eggs, it's not going to be long until they're they're concentrating on the fatal six and then the deadly seven. What I'm getting at is you cannot legislate for a safe driver. The Queensland Traffic Act is 61 pages long and you've all memorised it, haven't you? Yes? Well, that's good because to go with that Traffic Act is the traffic regulations, which are 190 pages And um, these documents are all set there to try and create a safe driver. They fail. They can't do it. They cannot create a safe driver. It has to be an attitude of the heart within the driver. An attitude of the heart that you practice in what you do. You see... They can and do set the speed limit at 100 kilometres an hour. And right, well, that speed is a safe speed. And so, go over that and we'll book you. But you might be driving along and there might be a busload of kids 
stopped on the side of the road and all these kids beside the road, 50 of them. It might be night time. Rain's pouring down. Car coming towards you with his headlights on, blinding you. Now, you could drive straight through there at 100 kilometres an hour and you haven't broken the law. But you know and I know that that's not safe. And so we know that we need to slow down. Now, the legalist would say, well, we, need, we obviously need more rules. We, we, we'll need to legislate against that. So if there's kids on the side of the road, we're going to drop the speed limit by another 20. Uh, and, and if it's a rainy day, then we've got to drop it another 20. If it's night time, you're going to need to drive 20 kilometres slower. If there's a car coming towards you, another 20 kilometres slower. And if his lights are blind you, another 20 kilometres slower. And before you know it, you're going backwards by 40 kilometres an hour. But the point I'm making is this. If you have a desire for righteousness and a desire for safe driving in your heart, you're going to care for those people and you're going to slow down. You're not going to put those kids at risk no matter what the law says. If you have a desire for road safety in your heart, you will do by nature what the law has never been able to achieve. You'll regulate your speed to the conditions. You won't drink and drive. You will wear a seatbelt. When you get tired, you're going to stop and have a rest, even if your logbook says that you're still good for another two hours. Um, If you find yourself getting distracted, you're going to stop and deal with those distractions and then get going again. But for the government to try and legislate to make you do it, it'll never work. It has to be a change of the heart. It has to be an attitude within And this is exactly the same with God's law. Jesus came not to abolish it, but to put it in our hearts so that it would become an attitude within, which we then practice without. So that the law written on our hearts could do what the written law in the Bible was never able to achieve. And so Jesus Christ came to fulfil the law and I believe that he did it in in three ways. Firstly, Jesus is the first and only person to have ever been able to actually keep God's law. Jesus was sinless. You can try and do it and you'll fail. I can try and do it and I'll fail. Jesus did not. And so in that way he fulfilled the requirements of the law. Secondly, on the cross, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. By his blood, the new covenant came into being. Under the old covenant, God was unapproachable, and we've talked about that a few weeks ago. Under the old covenant, God was unapproachable, and all of the cleanliness laws that we find in the book of Leviticus were all about us trying to get pure and holy enough to come into the presence of a holy God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said the words, It is finished. It is accomplished. And the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, symbolising that no more was this big barrier between us and God. And so under the new covenant, all of the cleanliness and all of the ritual law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that is why we're worshipping this morning in the skills centre and not the abattoir. Can you imagine getting together to worship God in the abattoir? Well, you probably wouldn't mind, but we don't need to do that because you didn't each have to bring your bull or your goat or your dove or your grain offering or whatever it was that we could then burn on the altar. 
You can come simply through the blood of Jesus and we worship God together. Christ fulfilled all of the requirements of the religious law and in Christ we're released from that burden. And I praise God of that um, because it really would be a burden. The third way Jesus fulfilled the law, I believe, is by sending us his Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended into heaven and on the day of Pentecost he sent his Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of all believers. And when the Holy Spirit is living in your heart, you will by nature, not our nature, but the nature of the God who is living in us, keep the commandments of God because the Holy Spirit of God is convicting us from within as to what is right and what is wrong. When you're a Christian, your conscience gets tuned into God. And you'll become more aware of the changes that you need to make in your life. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven, disciples of Jesus Christ, are urged by the Spirit of God to live by the righteousness of God. Is there anybody here today who wants to live by the righteousness of God? Put up your hand if you do. Yep, I'm pretty happy to see that. Uh, Because let me be very blunt. If you don't want to live by the righteousness of God, if you don't want to live a righteous life for God, then I would have to question whether Jesus is actually in your heart. So that is what it means that Christ fulfilled the law. He kept it. He was the perfect sacrifice, which means that through him we can approach God without the religious law. And he fills us with his spirit and writes his law upon our hearts. That's what it means that Christ fulfilled the law. Okay. So what's the place of God's law today? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that doesn't mean that the rest of the time he's telling fibs. (laughs) That's like him saying, now look, you can be sure of this. There's no two ways about this. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, if you actually look in the Hebrew, that's sort of like saying no dotting of the I is going to disappear or no crossing of the T is going to disappear until everything is accomplished. Now, has heaven disappeared? No. Okay. Uh, Has earth disappeared? No. Uh, Has everything been accomplished? Has Christ returned yet? No. So, no, no. No, therefore not one point of God's law has disappeared. Now we know that Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of the religious requirements making it possible for us to come into the presence of a holy God. But if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ then you're still just as cut off from God and you're just just still as hopelessly lost in sin as what you ever were. And I urge you this morning, if you feel that that's you, and don't go home until you've done something about that. If you feel that you're still cut off from God, if your faith is not yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you haven't yet yielded to him, don't go home 
without doing that and come and talk to me after the service because this is the most important thing that you'll ever do. But what does it mean? What does this law now mean for the believer? What does it mean for the disciple of Jesus Christ today? We're set free from all the moral co- sorry, set free from all the cleanliness and religious rules and regulations. But what about the rest of it? What about the moral code? What about righteous living? Well, we don't have to guess. Jesus tells us in verse 19. And I've used the English Standard Version here. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, as a Bible teacher, I tremble when I read this sort of stuff. Um, And I've used the English Standard Version here because it actually gives a better translation than, than the NIV. The NIV says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But the word is actually relaxes. You don't even have to break it. You know, sometimes you sort of think, oh, God's law is this, but yeah, we'll just bend it a little bit and, you know. And then we sort of look and go, well, these rules, they're the biggies. They're the biggies. But these other ones, well, yeah, they don't matter quite so much. So, yeah, God will let us get away with it. And, you know, he'll forgive me anyway. Yeah, that, that's it. He forgives us of all of our sins. So it's not going to really matter with these smaller ones. But it says here, whoever relaxes one of Lisa's commandments. Now, I trump, tremble when I read that because what I teach you today bears eternal consequences on my heavenly reward and on your heavenly reward. Because what I teach and what you and I do bears eternal consequences. Can you see that this is critically important? And I know some people say to me sometimes, Michael, why are you so worried about what's being taught you know, in such and such a place or whatever? You know, why are you so worried about that? Well, I'm worried because there are eternal consequences when we start bending the truth of what God says. Now, this is what it means. If the Holy Spirit is prompting on me on the inside as to what's right and what's wrong, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit who's talking to me or if it's just my own feelings or if it's just the standards of the world creeping in or if it's actually the devil tempting me to do something that I shouldn't? How, how do we know which voice to listen to? You know, I always think of, you know, those cartoons when you have, I don't know if it's Donald Duck or, or whoever it is, but, but they have the Donald Duck there and then they have the evil Donald Duck sitting on one shoulder and the, and the angelic Donald Duck sitting on the other and one's fighting the other and, and one's saying, no, 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 do the right thing. And the other doesn't, oh, no, you don't have to worry about that. And eventually we have the evil one choking the angel. You've always seen those cartoons, haven't you? Yeah? Well, that's what it's sometimes like in us. Well, how do we know? When it comes to the moral law, when it comes to righteousness and justice and mercy, because remember, and this is something that whenever I've heard anyone preach on this, they always just talk about the law. But remember, Jesus is talking about the law and the prophets here. 
Which, so basically the whole Old Testament. The prophets, though, were really big. They were really dead against just empty observance of the written law without having things like justice, mercy and sacrifice. That's why those prophets were there and what they were jumping up and down about. When it comes to the law and the prophets, we don't get to choose what's right and what's wrong. God's law serves as a timeless calibration for us to get our hearts in line with God's heart. Right? That's what... That's how we read the Bible today. It is the timeless calibration to make sure that we're not going off track. And that was the demonstration. You all understood the demonstration with measuring that little 25 millimetre thing with the kids there? And we need to be calibrated by God's word so that we know that, hey, we're not going off on our own path. We need to know that the Holy Spirit inside of you will never direct you to act contrary to God's written word. So, for instance, men, you might feel a deep yearning to be with another woman other than your wife. Or ladies, you may feel a deep connection with a man who listens to you and connects with you in a way that your husband never has and start to feel, well, maybe God wants me to leave my spouse and go and marry this other person. Wrong. God will never tell you that because it's against his written law. You might start conducting your business with profit, and I realised as I wrote this down I wrote the wrong profit, no, I put the PH instead of the F. You might start conducting your business with the profit, with the F, as its only goal. You know? Right, we're going to pay minimum wage. I'm going to sack my employees before they get their long service leave up. I'm going to do a few quick dodgy but still legal deals along the way. It's against God's word, which is big on, on acting with justice and mercy and telling us to be fair and generous in all our dealings. New Zealand just passed their same-sex marriage bill. And of course, what's it done? It's re- renewed the debate here and it seems the pollies, every time it comes up, just get moved a little bit more towards... I'm not going to tell you what direction it is, but a bit more towards that. And in many churches today, the push is to normalise homosexuality and the teaching that goes with it says, hey, that's okay. It's not a sin. That's how God made you and in fact we should celebrate the way that God made you. Now... They might say it's not a sin, it's just the understanding that people had back then which they don't know, didn't know any better. Now, after a time, some people start getting drawn over towards that side and thinking, well, maybe it's not as bad as what it was originally thought. Well, it's time to get our calibration out. Trying to pick up your Bible and have a bit of a read as to how God feels about that. What does God's word say? And very soon you'll find that that's a lie of the devil. And God forbid that I ever teach anyone to relax a commandment of God because there are eternal consequences at stake. Now, I haven't stepped on any dangerous ground here because all of those, they're all the biggies that we probably need to think, oh, other people have the problems with those. But how much do you and I relax God's word in our lives all the time? How much do we do that? You know, most of us don't care if we work every single day of the week. 
Most of us can easily turn a blind eye to the poor and the needy. Most of us can quite easily carry a grudge or dishonour our parents or put a few little things on our tax return, claim off on our business when they're actually really personal expenses. Most of us find it easy to dishonour our parents and most of us quite often can covet what our neighbour has and not bat an eyelid. These things are relaxing of God's law. And I know that I have to recalibrate myself to God and how he wants me to live. Friends, Jesus Christ calls his disciples to a radical, life-changing transformation. Jesus calls you as his disciple to a radical, life-changing transformation. In all areas of your life, he wants to see justice and mercy and truthfulness and righteousness coming out in every sphere of your influence and life and domain. Nowhere, no part of your life should be cut off from God and no part of mine. Every bit of it needs to be yielded to God. Now about here, some of you may jump up and say, well, thanks for the message, Michael. That's been all very legalistic. Um, been a lot of talk about keeping the law. Um, have you forgotten about grace, Michael? Jesus said, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There is no start to transformation in your life and my life without grace. There is no beginning point. No beginning point. What hope have we got? Here we are, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the scribes, the teachers of the law, they made it a practice their entire lives to strive for God's righteousness and they failed dismally. They weren't good enough. How can you ever be good enough to get to heaven? No chance. What about me? How can I ever be good enough to get to heaven? Well, I know me better than you know me and I think I've probably got less chance than you guys. No one is good enough. Our righteousness is not enough. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus forgives sins. I think that's probably what the Pharisees and the scribes were most annoyed about. Jesus forgave people. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe and be baptised in his name and you'll be saved. No one has ever been saved by keeping the law. I could never be that good and neither could you. I'm saved through the blood of Jesus and his forgiveness but I'm not saved to go on sinning and neither are you. And so we live with God's help, righteous lives out of thankfulness for what he's done. And that gets back to that psalm that I started off with this morning. 
I run in the paths of your commands for you have set my heart free. And that's the picture that that we should have. Yeah, we run in the paths of God's commands. God's commands are good, they're perfect, they're, they're loving, they're just, they're righteous, they're merciful, they're wonderful. And I want to live for God because of what he's done for me. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I'm certainly not. And so it's just as well that our Heavenly Father forgives us over and over and over again. So listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit prompting your conscience. Calibrate your conscience by reading and studying God's Word. And live righteously. Not so that you deserve to be saved. That's not why we live righteously. Live righteously because you have been saved even though you didn't deserve it.